This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that's so hip he wants to distribute our show through vinyl. He is the captain. Yeah, can you dig it, man? It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend. This week we're drinking You're a Good Man Charlie Brown Ale by Santa Cruz Mountain Brewing. Garage grade, three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. You're a Good Man Charlie Brown Ale is brewed with roasted malts and English ale yeast for a nice, crisp, and classic finish. And today's beer was brought to us by these friends of the garage right here. First up, we have Laura in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And a big shout out to Sarah in Akron, Ohio. Next, a big cheers, mates, to Johannes from Sweden. She would like to be on the Parts Unknown Police Force. Well, first, you're going to have to frisk me. I would wear two pairs of gloves. A big we like your jib to Sarah from Baltimore, Maryland. And a cheers to Claire in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And last but certainly not least, we have Julie in Cincinnati, Ohio. So thanks, to everybody, for helping us out with this week's beer run. If you want to help us put some gas in the tank for next week's beer run, go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the donate button. B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run, and that's enough of the beers, Ness. All right, boys and girls, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. and I had an A sticker on my car and obvious access day or night to the campus. I was picking up some very lovely young women. 
You know what, the, what we were talking about as we're driving around? Almost as often as not, this guy that's going around doing this stuff. And the second they started talking that, they didn't realize it, but they were getting a free ride. I couldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole, I swear. You know, but they'd be telling me what all about this guy and they're comparing notes and speculating on what he looks like, how he carries himself, why he's doing this stuff, telling me about it. It was getting easier to do. I was getting better at it. I was getting less detectable. I started flaunting that invisibility, severing a human head, two of them, at night in front of my mother's residence with her at home, my neighbors at home upstairs, their picture window open, the curtains open, 11 o'clock at night, the lights are on, all they have to do is walk by, look out, and I've had it. Why did you keep the heads? Why did you cut them off, and why did you keep them? Something out of my childhood. <laughs> I could put it on an incident. I mean, my father chopping the heads off of our two pet chickens and my mother insisting that I eat them for dinner. Uh, <laughs> you know, we could say it was something that simple. I don't think it was. Now, my dad heads out back with a hatchet. I got on my bike and I rode I tried to stop it. I remember that. I got on the bike, rode around the block. I was crying. I haven't talked about that for a lot of years. I'm sure that may have implemented something, that may have gotten something rolling but along fantasy lines, but it took a lot of years of development along those lines to really get off. But how are you able to, in one minute, have someone's head in your hands and very shortly thereafter? Living through a fantasy, however that would relate to that severed head. And, and then five minutes later, I'd put that away and th there'd be a knock on the door and I'd put it away and answer the door and the landlady would be there and we'd discuss it. Discuss what? Reality. Her reality, not mine. Some people go crazy at that point. I felt it. It was one hell of a tweak. I mean, to just flip out and not know where I was. To be walking up the stairs with a camera bag that belonged to a young woman that had her severed head in it walking up to my apartment, past a happy young couple coming down the stairs who nodded and smiled at me as they went by. Good evening. And they're going out on a date where I'd love to be going. And I'm aware of both of these realities and the, dis the distance between those two is so dramatic, so amazing, so violent that that really, I can feel the wheels squeaking inside. That was really pulling on it. And I imagine at that point some people break. But I didn't literally go insane. I didn't get lost. Edmund Kemper was committed to the Atuscadero State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. This was a unique situation, though. We have young Ed Kemper living at this state hospital for the criminally insane, keeping in mind Kemper's high IQ. Now add in Kemper's personality. He is of the type that flourishes in this environment. Think about it. He's the type that if you put him in a situation, he's been rejected his entire life. All he wants to do is feel like he fits in or not have to be in a situation of being rejected again. This is not up to him to be there. He's required to be there. Considered by most to be a model inmate. So he's granted privileges. And one of these privileges is that he is delivering test and test results to from office to office. 
So during the course of this time when he's running these tests and running the results of these tests from one office to another, he's reading them. He's perusing the files. He's looking through the papers. He's memorizing things, diagnosis, treatments, desired results, all of this stuff. So later he would be able to manipulate this system. He's in there. He's talking to psychiatrists. He's talking to people studying him. He's talking to people that are trying to treat him. And he's, he's able to give them answers and responses that may not be truthful. That may be learned behaviors, learned responses. He's in fact, learning what they want to hear from him. Well, and do you believe that at this age, that Ed wanted to be fixed himself? Mm, I don't know. I don't know that he considered there to be something wrong, wrong with him in the sense that we would consider there to be something wrong with him. He considers there's that there's something wrong with him because he's rejected by everybody that's been in his life. So he knows, Hey, there must be something wrong with me because I've been rejected by all these people. But what we see is somebody that has killed two people. That's yeah. very different than what he sees. Right. He kind of sees himself more as a victim where we see somebody that couldn't cope, couldn't handle whatever his environment was. And his reaction to such was killing two innocent people. Regardless, we, we will never know if he wanted to be fixed, cured, whatever you want to label it. We will never know if he even wanted to receive treatment. We will never know if the treatment actually, in fact, worked. When you're given all the answers to a test, how does anyone determine if you actually learned anything? Right. You know, he's essentially just memorizing what they want to hear from him, what they want his response to be. And at this time, you know, you and I kind of chatted yesterday a bit about, well, he could have been a mass murderer at age 15 and then we probably would have locked him up forever. And that's, you're more likely right than I am in that conversation that we had. Of course. Well, not of course you, we can't just brush it aside so quickly. And no, I meant because it was coming from me. Well, you're, you're not just right because you are who you are. The um, captain. the thing is in this country at that time, late in the sixties, in the early seventies, especially right. in California and look, Californians don't get all upset with the Colonel. I didn't do this. I wasn't the, I can't go back and change history. But what the history of it is, is our country, not just in California, but especially in California, this country was, was hell bent on the thought of rehabilitation at that time. Right. You know, we talked on this show several times about why was there so many serial killers in the seventies and eighties? Well, it, it has, there's so many factors that go into that, but some of that is the simple thought of this. We have at the time. California going, you know what? Oh, you killed two people. We can fix you. We right. you, let's just talk. Let's lock you up for a little bit. We're going to, and not only that, we're going to surround you by other people that we've deemed to be not only violent, but criminally insane. Yeah. And your IQ, depending on who you talk to could be near genius level as high as 146. We're going to put you in an environment that you can learn from our doctors, which we want you to learn from our doctors, right? Yeah. It's not going to be a basement. There's not going to be rats. We want you to learn from the treatment, right? Mm -hmm. Guess what? You don't want a six foot nine, 300 pound guy with an IQ of 146 to learn from the criminals that you've surrounded him with the adult criminals, the criminally insane people 
that you've surrounded him with. He's now learning from them as well. And the problem that we had back in the, the late 60s was we were doing this with killers. And I say we because other states were doing it as well. We're still doing it on some level. We were doing it with killers and we were doing it with uh, child molesters and people that would, would, would reoffend. And we're like, yeah. well, we can fix it. And you know, one big problem that this country had and a lot of countries had back then was we didn't ever have a good understanding of these people that were raping children. At that time, we were almost identifying it as something to being equal as homosexuality, which, of course, now we're all educated and smart enough to know that they have nothing to do with one another. Right. Never have and never will. And so back then, we thought we could even cure something like that and we'd just throw them back out on the streets and we would see. Well, they also thought they could cure homosexuality. They would have these. They still, to this day, think they can and they have these. Uh, church groups that you go out, you know, all men church group that go out in the woods and 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 they can pray away the gay. Well, and of course, you know, we we've we've discussed it on our show several times. You know, even states like Texas, Florida, Ohio, everybody was releasing these very dangerous individuals. And then you have somebody as smart as Edmund Kemper. And look, I'm not blaming the system, especially in this specific instance, because we have a guy that was smart enough to figure out a way to manipulate the system. Right. Okay. So we can't blame the system for being tricked. Yeah. But you know, we need to take a look at some of these systems that we've had in place for years and, and correct some of that. stuff. Well, and that that's what I think we've learned throughout these last few decades is really how quote unquote curable is. Would somebody be that's already committed double homicide? Right. Maybe the method for releasing this individual is not to just have him check in once a week with somebody and go talk to him. And, and the person goes, yeah, he's still fine. Yeah. Cause he's fine until he's not right. <laughs> right he's right. fine until he's, he's fine not. until he's decapitating he, somebody. He yeah. was fine for 15 years until he shot his grandmother in the back three times. Right. Ed Kemper is released to his mother's care, which is another horrible idea. Oh, this is great. The person I mean, that he did, hates the most during the talking. Yeah. You think they would have figured that out? Like how oh, we can't release him to the mother. You know what? I will say in the defense of those that were helping him with his treatment at the time, they did tell the state, you can't release him to his mother. Like but, you could, but the dad probably didn't want him. You could release this guy. Yeah. But see, that's the problem when a lot of, a lot of states, and uh -huh. I know that it varies from state to state, but from my understanding, California, I believe Ohio's the same way. California. Even as an adult, if you're like paroled, if they release you on parole, the first thing before considering you for parole, they say, "Well, where are you going to go to live?" Right. Well, you've been in prison. You don't you don't ha you haven't had a job, you don't have any money, you don't have a residence. So, you have to go live with somebody else. Somebody has to agree to take you in. Ed Kemper has nobody but mama and mama probably didn't want to take him in either, but right. she does for whatever reason. And so he's released to her care. So now he's on parole and he's like, we said, six foot nine. He weighs 280 pounds. Heavyweight champion of the world. Well, and he's released into a world that he just simply doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, he spent more than a quarter of his life locked up and with people older than him. Well, and he, al he also says things like that. Like, I, I, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to go talk to a female. Mm -hmm. That's kind of odd. Yeah, you I know, mean. Like, maybe at first 
like when you're 10, it's a little strange. After that, it's like, yeah, it might be frightening to people, but it's like if you find yourself in conversation, like in the line at a, you know, Burger King to get a Whopper or something, you find yourself talking to a lady, that's not that strange to 98% of the, the men out there. Yeah, and I mean, but we have this, though, too. We have the thought of, you know, keep in mind, the people his age in 1969, California, they were free-spirited. California. They almost spoke a different language than Kemper. And as you said, he had no experience with, with women, but I mean, as a young adult, he had no experience being out in the real world as a young adult. This is my issue with when they're always talking about almost genius level IQs, but not smart enough to figure out so much shit in life. But I don't know that he had the tools to be equipped to do so. And regardless, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, let's say he's out and he's talking to um, a, a woman his age right? or, you know, older, younger, whatever. It doesn't matter. Where'd you go to high school? Oh, I didn't go to high school because I shot my grandparents and I've been locked up in a house, hospital for the com- criminally insane right. for the past five or six years. But I was a good patient. Yeah. And I helped the staff. Well, not only is he out, but he, like we said, he's in his mother's care or living with his mother. And once again, he's <laughs> experiencing her verbal abuse right now he did get his ged once he was out and he wanted to be a police officer but instead he landed at a job with the california division of highways he saved his money and eventually purchased a yellow 1969 ford galaxy vehicle this is a two-door car mm-hmm. so for two years ed is working he's trying to adjust to civilian life trying to fit in he's you know just out there living, doing his thing. Uh, he's with his mother in Santa, in the Santa Cruz area. His mother now separated from her third husband. She's working as a secretary at the newly opened university of California, Santa Cruz. Ed with his car made a practice of picking up the beautiful young college female students that were, you know, in the area looking for a ride, looking to hitchhike, which was very common back then. Well, and what, and wasn't this because, since his mom worked at the school, he had some kind of school identification on his vehicle. Yeah, he had some kind of sticker. I don't know if it was for parking purposes or just to be able to get on and, you know, onto the campus area and drive around. Well, but that was probably so good for him because if, especially if you go to a small college, when you see that sticker on somebody's car or you see that thing hanging from their mirror, it almost makes you like reassured that they're okay. This person's okay. Yeah, you identify with them, and you probably would think uh, maybe they're a student, you know. So, looking to get into a car, looking to hitchhike somewhere, you would be willing to get in his vehicle. Seeing the sticker is the general thought. Now, he drove a lot of young women around for a long time, and I actually believe, Captain, that he thought that maybe this might lead to a date or some type of relationship because we have an individual that doesn't seem to have the means or the ability of meeting people very well. But Hey, if I do something nice, if I offer you a ride now, we're, we're locked and loaded here, right? We're sitting together. We're on a journey together. I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm doing you a favor. We can strike up a conversation. Yeah. If you can be Charlie cool about it, but when you're pulling up, rolling down your window in your banana hammock 
and you're going, oh, excuse me, miss, would you like a ride? I can give you a ride in my car. Well, fairly quickly, I would guess this letting women into his car, picking women up for hitchhiking purposes, probably very quickly became more about his violent sexual fantasies. And just like he learned in the hospital, he is now going to start to try some different tactics to see what works and what doesn't work. Okay, so you referenced the sticker on his car probably helped him pick up some young women. He also said that he had a look, like he had a a specific style of sunglasses that he would wear just when he wanted to pick up hitchhikers. He also had a move, too, that he would do that when asked if he could give them a ride, he would try to act like he was annoyed, like he had somewhere to go, like, you know, looking at his watch and going, oh, I guess, I guess I can help you out. That way to let their guard down that he's not so eager just to get this individual into his vehicle. Right. He says that he started taking things a bit further each time. Like he would start veering off of the natural route to where they wanted to go or start taking them to a secluded location where they didn't want to go. Right. So kind of the, the thought process here is, well, I'm going to turn right instead of left here and let's see how they react. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in the worst case scenario, they go, uh, no, you're not supposed to turn right here. And you could always play dumb. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I took the wrong path. Eventually, he takes this to the point of he starts to keep a gun in the car with him when he's picking up women. Yes, that way. So when they go, you should have turned left and not right. He just pulls the gun out and go, don't you tell me how to drive. On May 7th, 1972, Kemper was driving when he picked up two 18-year-old hitchhikers. These women were from the Fresno State university they were students this is mary ann pesci and anita lucessa after driving for an hour he drove to a secluded wooded area near alameda which he was familiar with from his work at the highway department there he intended to rape the women but while he was locked up he learned from serial rapists to not leave witnesses so here's an issue for him He's decided that he wants to rape at least one of these women. Think about Ed Kemper. He's six foot nine, almost 300 pounds. He's easily identifiable. So he decides, hey, I learned from these guys while I was locked up not to leave any witnesses. If somebody's five foot 10, white guy, brown hair, he's probably, you know, you could identify that individual to police and you're not find him or home in on him so quickly you say hey this guy was a giant he wore glasses and he drove a yellow vehicle they're going to home in on him fairly quickly yeah so what he decided to do is he tied up the girl that he wanted to rape and he put anita lucessa in the trunk of the vehicle he attempted to rape pesci However, he was unable to do so. And when he couldn't get it up, he got angry with her and he took it out on her and he decides to stab Marianne Pesci. Right. Even though that we heard in the interview, he claims that his stuff works. Well, he stabs her to death and eventually he realizes, crap, I got this other person in the car. I can't just let her go now. She's in the trunk. She doesn't know what's happened, but I can't just let her go now. 
So he goes back to the, the trunk. He lets her out and he opens it up and tells her that, Hey, she sees blood on his hands and he tells her, Hey, your friend got out of control, got crazy with me. I had to punch her. I think I broke her nose. You're going to want to come check on her. You're going to want to come make sure that she's okay. And as soon as she turns her back on him, he stabs her. Both of these, these women, at least one of them, he slit their throat. We have this situation too, where afterwards he kind of goes into an immediate panic. He closes the trunk. He's now got one of the victims inside of there. And he believes that he, he can't find his keys. Yeah. He starts to panic thinking that he locked his keys in the trunk of the car. And now he's screwed. He's got at least one body in there at this point. He might've had two because he did. He did ultimately transport both of them with two of both of them being in the trunk. Right. So he's panicking. He's thinking, crap, I've locked my keys in there with these two victims. He starts to panic. He trips over his gun that he dropped on the ground. And he says that when he fell, this kind of brought him to like, he kind of had a moment of clarity there realizing that his keys were in fact in his back pocket. He never kept his keys in his back pocket. He says he finds them in the back pocket, picks up the gun that he had that he used to control the women to begin with. And now he's going to drive so he can dismember these bodies and dispose of them on the way to his destination. He gets pulled over for a taillight. He's got a busted taillight. It's always a busted taillight. Now I wonder if that was busted before for, or if it got busted during the, the tussle that I don't know. That's, that's, that's interesting, but he did, he's able to weasel his way out of, you know, the, the officer doesn't search his vehicle, obviously. Well, of course not. So he's able to make it back to his destination and I'm not going to go through all the details, but much like Ted Bundy and other individuals that we've discussed before on this show, Ed Kemper was a necrophiliac. Okay. Yeah. He couldn't have normal sexual relations or sexual intercourse with a living, breathing woman. He liked to have sex with their heads. Yeah, well, and their bodies, yeah. frankly. We don't need to. <laughs> I said we weren't going to go into details. Thanks, wow. Captain. So he was it a needs, necrophiliac. Sometimes it needs to be said. And he would dismember these bodies so he could later dispose of them. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer. Thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart protein plus and keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, 
Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. On the evening of September 14th, 1972, Kemper picked up 15-year-old Korean dance student Aiku Koo. Koo's family did not own a vehicle, and she got permission from her mom to go to a dance competition, so she was to take the bus. Well, after missing her bus, she hitchhiked. Kemper offers her a ride, so he drives to a remote area pulling a gun on Koo before he accidentally locked himself out of his car. Oh, so you believe it, it will happen. Well, Koo let him back inside the vehicle. And then Kemper choked her unconscious, raped her, and killed her. But this is after he pulled the gun on her. Correct. Mm. He packed her body into the trunk of his car and went to a bar and had a few drinks. Then back at his apartment, he did all of the terrible things that we've already discussed earlier before dismembering and disposing of the remains in a similar manner manner as his previous two victims. Is this when he's going to the bar uh, that the cops like to go to? I don't know what bar he went to that night, but yes, there was a bar that he frequented called the Jury Room. And this was a bar that was, the regulars were pretty much law enforcement. Right. And he he made a lot of friends. He would go in there. He's, I mean, we, we've already said this from the interviews that they have of him online. He's easy to talk to. He's a talker and he would go in there and he would buy drinks for the officers. They would buy drinks for him. They would sit around drinking beers and talking about, you know, everything, you know, everything from the weather to these missing co-eds. Well, he would talk so much. He, he actually knew that he was kind of annoying because how how much he actually talked. Mm-hmm. But I believe in one of the interviews he was stating that he knew just don't bring up any of these murders or any of these cases because if you do, then you might become a suspect. Right. And, you know, for a while with these three missing individuals, you know, he knows that he's killed them, but for a while they were simply missing persons cases. Right. You know, they all three of them had disappeared we have Koo's mother who she phones the police saying, hey, my daughter didn't show up to this dance competition. She was supposed to take the bus. I've never seen her ever again. She phones police and, and reports her daughter is missing. So for a while, they're just simply missing persons cases. Eventually, they're going to start finding the body parts of these different victims. Now, in January of 73, Kemper picked up Cindy Shaw, um, and we would have the same result. You know, mm-hmm. she's never seen again. And in February, the following month, he picks up Rosalind Thorpe and Allison Liu. So what we're seeing here, Captain, is what we see often with these serial offenders. We're seeing an increase in the speed, in the rate of the crimes. Mm-hmm. You Almost know, it's like he can't control his urges. 
or fantasies. Well, and there's less of a cooling off period. So very quickly, he's getting to the next victim, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we talked about Kemper wore special glasses that he thought made him look more like a college student, made him look a little hipper. You know, he drove the vehicle that he had the campus sticker on the vehicle. Yeah, Kemper, the original hipster. And then he also had different things that he would do. Like I said, he would pretend to be in a hurry looking at his watch when asked if he could give somebody a ride. The other move that he did, which is terrifying, and it's really well thought out, though, on his part, is once he would get these hitchhikers into his vehicle, think about his vehicle. It's a two-door vehicle. So if you're in the back, you're already at a huge disadvantage Mm -hmm. because the whole idea that he has is he's going to drive you to a secluded area, and then he's going to pull a gun on you. Well, if you have the ability to flee... That's your opportunity. You got to get out of Dodge as quick as possible. If you're stuck in the back seat, you're going to have a difficult time getting out of that vehicle. Also, take into account that he's 6'9", so his wingspan, his arms reach the other door, the passenger door, pretty easily. Well, that was one of his moves. So he would only have a victim in the back seat if more than one hitchhiker got in at a time. Right. You know, because the natural thing is to ride shotgun. So what he would do is he would reach over his passenger and he would say, oh, I don't think your door is shut all the way. And then he would open the door, you know, using the the little latch, Mm -hmm. open up the door, close it shut. And in the same motion, he would drop a tube of chapstick down into the door. So what it creates is it, it prevents you from using that latch to open the door. You couldn't, he's not locking the door in front of you, which would be an obvious move p- making you uncomfortable. Right. He's unbeknownst to you. He's dropped this tube of chapstick down there. Now, if you go for the latch, it doesn't connect and you can't open the door from the inside of the vehicle. Right. And, and a lot of the doors now, when you go to open them, if they're locked, they'll unlock automatically or whatever they do. But this is back in the day, but wasn't it Bundy that just didn't have a handle? Yeah, he Bundy did all kinds of things. Remember, he actually had, um, he he altered the seats in his vehicle in some form too. Oh yeah. Remember, he had them like he, he took the screws out of them, so if he needed to just push a chair back or hide it, he could. Right. In in seventy three, that attack in uh, February mm-hmm. with on the two young women, he actually by this point he's in a bit of a frenzy. Because remember, we talked about with his first victims as an adult, he drives out into the middle of nowhere. There's a bit of interaction between these victim and killer leading up to the killing. Right. With his last victims, I think I personally think he's in a bit of a frenzy because he doesn't even bother to get them very far away from where he picks them up and he shoots both of them. He talks about how after the killing, this paranoia of that, that he's going to be caught right away that everybody's coming to get him. I wonder if that started setting in right when he picked up the victim. I think that he had developed what he likes to do to the victims, and he wanted to get to that as quick as he could. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, as we said earlier, is he can't can't have normal intercourse or sexual relations or, or normal relationships with people the way that normal people can. 
Right. So he wants to get straight to having sex with their head. Or yeah, he wants to get straight to the necrophilia as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Because you know, he can create I hope nobody's eating their lunch. Yeah, but he can create and make up all these reasons why who he is, you know, and how he turned out and what he why he does what he does. Well, that's because one time when he was when he was 8 years old, his dad, I'm just joking. But in the end, the reality is this is his this is his sexual fantasy. Right. And it's now how can I get to that as soon as possible? And that's what's tough about some of the interviews for me is can we learn something to possibly see this early early signs in a child and maybe stop this behavior from happening or is some of this just complete bullshit to justify their fantasy, their sexual um fantasies? Well, I think it's a way to rationalize it. Right. You know, either for themselves or for everybody else to understand that this is why they did what they did. But in this situation, he shoots both of these young women. He actually gets pulled over with them in the vehicle. I mean, he's not moved them to the trunk of the vehicle. He gets pulled over. Mm-hmm. And he he had wrapped both of them up to the neck area in a blanket and they were both kind of just like, you know, their heads leaning against the door and the other victim head leaning against that victim. If that makes sense. Yeah. They're yeah. both, they're both like uh, one sleeping on the other. Gotcha. Yes. When he gets pulled over, he tells the officer that both of these women are drunk and he's returning them home mm-hmm. and actually he's returning them to his home but he doesn't tell the officer that right and the officer believes him and he goes on about his way and we've seen this with several several different serial killers that in these moments some of them are able to not panic not freak out and just kind of offer up an explanation as to what's going on mm-hmm. and they get sent along their way we saw it with bundy you know we saw it with uh btk but it wasn't necessarily a, an officer it was right. um I, I think it was another scout leader or somebody that seen this with Dahmer yeah. yeah Dom yes Dahmer did almost this exact same thing well for years he's had hatred towards his mother now he's gonna turn that against her and not these co-eds yeah at some point Kemper finally realized that his ultimate fantasy was killing his mother now it's difficult to say how long he planned such an act it's likely months or at the very least, probably every time that they got into an argument because you have heard in the interviews, he will often reference that him and his mom, we got into a bad argument on this night and then I went out driving around. Right. And so we do know from these interviews though, that he was at least actively seriously planning to kill his mother for about a week or so before he finally did. This was two days before Easter Sunday on Good Friday, 1973. Kemper decided to kill his mother. He battered her with a hammer, stabbed her with a knife, and he cut off her head. And of course, he did all of the other things that we've already discussed that he did with the other bodies. Mm -hmm. And then we have Sally Hallett. This was his mother's best friend. He, once he cools off, Mm -hmm. he calls her up and invites her over to dinner. Mm-hmm. So she shows up expecting to have dinner with Ed Kemper and his mother. And as soon as she enters the place, he gets behind her, this giant, and he basically picks her up with, with his arms and he's, he's strangling her in midair mm-hmm. and she dies pretty quickly. 
Many people have suggested, Captain, that given his homicidal obsession with his mother, that we are supposed to think that maybe killing his mother like exercised the demons that tormented Ed throughout his life. Because this would kind of be the end of his killing spree. Well, let's stay on this murder for a second, because didn't he also say that she went out with a friend and she was drinking and then she came home and uh, he like passed by her room or something and she made like some snarky comment like she always does. Right. Like, oh, I suppose you want to stay up all night talking now. Yeah. Now, is it true or false? Because I know, and look, it's your right. I mean, you don't want to, you're not one for the gory details. But is this just a part of Mindhunter, or was this actually what happened? Because he claims in Mindhunter that he took her. Larynx? Yeah, and, and put it in the garbage disposal. There are many different versions of that same story. So I believe there's got to be some truth to it. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take it to the most extreme, he says something to the point to, well, the way the story goes anyway. I couldn't find his exact words on this. Right. Mind you, there's like hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of interviews with Ed. So can you please say it in his voice? I, I don't I don't think I could do it. You're not for, you're not gonna even try. I don't think though that I think the listeners would like to hear you try your best. You know, I think the listeners would like to hear you try. But see, that's how Cameron that's how Cameron Britton talks. I know. That's, that's not a, how Edmund Kemper talks. But that's still hey, that's still Ed Kemper impersonation now. Yeah, he's 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 got the character spot on in the sense that Ed's very matter of a fact matter of fact. Right. You know, he just kind of says what he did. He has the look in his eyes. The look in his eyes are very similar to Ed's. Yes, they are. They're they're 100%. So, it, let's take this story to the most extreme that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. You know, the most extreme version of the story is that after killing his mother, mm-hmm. he couldn't silence her voice that she was still nagging and bitching at him even in death. So he de- he decided to remove her larynx and her tongue mm. and throw it down the garbage disposal. And when he turned on the garbage disposal, pieces of that or the whole thing came back out at him, to which later he told law enforcement is it made sense to him because he wasn't able to silence her, that even in death she was going to continue to nag him and she was going to get the last word. Right. But when we listen to Ed talk, the way that he would let us know what was going on inside of him is he throws out there the suggestion that had I just killed mother before everybody else, I wouldn't have killed anybody else. Right. Again, I have to wonder, is this the absolute truth? Because the reality is he killed his mother. And then shortly afterwards, he killed her best friend. He didn't stop with his mother. Right. He had the opportunity to. You and I were just talking about uh, willpower. Well, we, yeah. we In, in uh, one's own will. You could argue there's evidence against your theory, Ed. He would call. He ended up calling the police. So he drove to Colorado. He left a note. This takes you back, though. He calls from a phone booth, right? Yeah. He And he left a note at his mother's home saying, hey, you know, I'm sorry about the mess, boys. I had to leave. I got things to do. Mm. He thought that, again, that paranoia sets in where he thought all of a sudden everybody's going to know what he did. And as he's driving to Colorado, he kept expecting to hear 
this story on the news, you know, breaking news. We found two dead bodies at this home and no, he never hears that. So eventually he decides he's going to stop. He calls Santa Cruz police from Colorado and he says, look, come and get me before I do it all over again. And the police, they initially refused to believe him. You know, this is the guy that they drank with at the bar. Right. It took several follow-up calls for them to believe that he had done what he said he had done. And they, they even asked him information that only the co-ed killer would know. Mm -hmm. So Kemper finally convinced the police that he was the man that they were looking for. And he was quickly arrested without incident and charged with eight murders in the first degree. Now I do want to point something out here. That's, that's not often discussed when Ed Kemper is discussed mm -hmm. is there were, there were more difficulty in this case than, than looking back, many of us would know of. And that was, there was another active serial killer in that exact area at that exact same time as Edmund Kemper, which created a big problem in the investigation. So we had Herbert Mullen. He was kind of killing people at random, you know, where right. we have Kemper who has a very distinct victimology. Right. The problem was that at the time, investigators believed that all of these murders were likely connected and therefore it made the, it made establishing a real pattern. It made it very difficult right. because there was no real pattern. You have one guy killing at random. Well, then you have two things also going against you. You have a guy confessing and if any more crimes happen while he's in jail, then you go, wait, well then this guy's falsely confessing, but then he's also only confessing to some of the murders. So you're going, well, why is he only confessing to some of them and not all of them? And here's one thing that I'm shocked of. This is a great idea for anybody out there that has time to do it. I'm a little surprised that there wasn't, there's not a movie or a book based around this whole idea of two working in the same area at the same time. What was that movie? Like kiss the girls or something Forrest Gump, where they're operating on different sides of the country. These two serial killers, you have a unique situation where two are operating in the same area and they're basically, they're almost apprehended roughly about the same time. So they're active for about the same periods of time. Now, we know that Kemper beheaded several of his victims. He would eventually tell his attorney that he had eaten the flesh of at least one of them. So at his trial, he did testify. And during his trial, he said that the slayings were his way of acting out homicidal, cannibalistic, and sexual fantasies that dated back to his childhood stating that that was the only way they could be mine, referring to his victims. Kemper said, I had their spirits, and I still have them. Kemper was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment for the eight murders because there was a stay on the death penalty in the U.S. at the time of his conviction. Santa Cruz County Superior Court Judge Harry Brower said at the time, Kemper, you should not be released from prison during your natural life. Edmund Kemper remains housed among the general prison population at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California. Ultimately, John Douglas believes that these types agree to talk with the FBI for a number of reasons, but with Kemper, Douglas believes he cooperated because he was somewhat bothered by his crimes, and this was a way to make some sort of amends. And talking about his crimes also allows Kemper to better understand himself. 
Douglas also says that he believes Kemper was made to be evil rather than born to be evil. But he also throws in there, hey, we have to keep in mind, if this individual was raised in a happy environment, a non-abusive environment by different people, he says, I can't guarantee that he wouldn't grow up to end up killing people. Yeah, I, I look, I respect John, but I also think when you almost become friends with an individual like this, I think that your viewpoints are going to be skewed a little bit. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think that Kemper makes it difficult to remain unbiased in this mm-hmm. situation because he is easy to talk to. You have Douglas in his own words and Bob Ressler in, the, in his words as well, stating that you know they found him to be friendly, easy to talk to, easy going, and even had a good sense of humor. To the point where they talked with him for hours and would have to remind themselves, hey, this guy's a this guy's a real monster. He's a killer. Well, and they're also talking to other monsters that aren't being as cooperative, guys that are probably just completely lying to him, not giving him any correct information. So therefore it's like here once again, Ed Kemper is the star student. Here's a little recommended reading before we get out of here today. This week, we're recommending The Allure of Premeditated Murder, Why Some People Plan to Kill by Jack Levin and Julie Weist. As violence remains such a prominent and troubling topic nationwide, The Allure of Premeditated Murder successfully explores the reasons behind the worst violence as well as the most promising solutions. And if you're interested in any of our recommended reading, you can check that out by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and check out the recommended page. And for all of our old episodes, check us out on the Stitcher app. It's free. And check out Off the Record on Stitcher Premium. All right. Until next week, be good. Be kind and don't litter. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.